What happens when you take a vision and add a touch of moxie to it? Well, we're going to ask someone who's done just that. I'm Garland McWaters, and this is the Spirit of Leading Podcast. Carlicia Bradley was named by the Tulsa YWCA during its centennial year of 2014 to a list of 100 Tulsa area women of moxie who over the century have made a positive impact that rippled out from Tulsa throughout the world. And in this episode of the Spirit of Leading podcast, we're going to hear from Carlicia about her work and her purpose in life. Carlicia, welcome to the Spirit of Leading. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. Well, it's uh, real uh, exciting to have you on the program. So I looked, I looked up the word moxie. I thought I knew what it meant, but I wanted to make sure. I looked up the word moxie, and it means a force of character, courageous spirit, determination, perseverance. And I wonder, did it ever dawn on you in all the time that you were starting your work and doing your work that you actually possessed those qualities? <laughs> I think that, you know, the term moxie, and when I did get that award, I looked that term up as well. I thought I knew what it meant, but honestly, I, I think about the character and the tenacity and the grit that I've seen in women in my life and women that I've deeply admired and looked up to. And so as I reflect back, I can definitely see where it has become a part of me uh, to set a vision and to chase after that dream and goal. But I'm so inspired by my mother, by my grandmother, by women just who have poured into me that have that spirit of moxie living alive and well in them. Well, I guess you come by it honestly then. But this idea of determination and spirit and things of that nature, it's a lot of uh, what I mean by the spirit of leading is that uh, people step out and they take uh, the lead on something and they it never dawns on them that, oh, I'm a leader. They're just saying, I'm doing something that really matters to me. I'm doing something that I believe is important. I'm doing something I think will make the world better. And that's what I mean by an empowered person is they, they say, oh, well, that's, this needs to be done, so I think I'll just do it. Right. I mean, I think about many of the things that I have done and pursuits have been about creating a better place for young women who were once in my position. A lot of my work has been fueled from my past and who would I have needed in my life? Uh, and I want to be that person for other young women, for youth. It's, it's definitely been something that has pushed me on the journey was just to be the change. Well, that's a important thing to realize is that we we are affected by others and we affect others. And that's sort of the way legacy happens is that uh, you leave behind in the lives of other people the same way someone's left behind in you something of themselves. And that's what makes the world a better place. And uh, we can certainly celebrate that. Uh, but I want to get into your resume just a little bit. Uh, it includes a lot of number of, uh, of accomplishments. But uh, currently, you are serving as the executive director of Impact Tulsa, and that puts you in touch with uh, the school districts around Tulsa, about 21 or so of them in the area. And uh, you also are the uh, representative on the state, Oklahoma State Board of Education for the 1st Congressional District. And uh, I'm curious about uh, the role of Impact Tulsa and, and, and how it, uh, the role it plays in coordinating all of these efforts of these disparate school districts around the area. 
Yeah. So I have loved working with Impact Tulsa. I come from a career in public education. And so getting to work with the 21 districts in Tulsa County in this space has been very different. Uh, it's a collective impact organization. And so what that means is that we don't only work with these 21 school districts, we're also working with business partners, higher education, nonprofits, civic organizations. And we do this by harnessing that power and focusing in on the data. We start by measuring what matters and amplifying data and looking at where are their bright spots, where are their disparities for us to plug in our partners and say, okay, what can we solve together to drive towards change for students? And we take that next step by also aligning resources. Oftentimes we think about the challenges that are faced within public education institutions and don't really reflect on there is an ecosystem that must be tapped into when we think about housing, when we think about food resources, jobs. I mean, all of these things play a part in public education. And at Impact Tulsa, we're highlighting that, but also bringing together those stakeholders to create systemic change together. What I picked up from what you just said is education is more than the classroom. Uh, it's the community, you know, it takes a village kind of thing. And everyone has a role to play and a stake in uh, what happens in the classroom. But the classroom is where you kind of, that's what you measure, I guess, for the most uh, part, what, what academically happens uh, to the classroom. What's the data showing you now that uh, you may not have, that you might have been surprised by uh, now that you get a closer look at so I would say, you know, we definitely look at those outcomes. We focus in at Impact Tulsa on kindergarten readiness, third grade reading. We're also looking at eighth grade math, high school graduation, and post-secondary enrollment. And so we look through cradle to career on what are these entry points and what are the outcomes for students. But I've also seen, you know, in this past year, especially as we did not have state testing uh, this past year, and we have entered into a very new landscape for public education this year, one thing that Impact Tulsa has is a child equity index. And in this child equity index, it harnesses the power of what we're talking about and working across sectors, but it is looking at what does a child carry in their backpack when we're looking at neighborhood factors, whether that be access to sidewalks, grocery stores, crime and safety in their neighborhoods, and how does that impact their academic outcomes. So when you're thinking as a school and you're solving for the needs of students, sometimes the need is not always, you know, how do I get more tutoring? It's also how do I work with other sectors and supporting and creating safe environments so that my students are able to show up and have the social emotional supports and be ready to learn. And so one thing that's been fascinating for me in this position and, and working with our data team is looking at that overlay of what is happening in neighborhoods and how that actually does have a huge impact on what students are experiencing within the classroom. And so it, it does zero in on how the power of partnerships can truly play a role in transforming the experiences and educational outcomes for students. Well, it truly is a total package. It's not just any one thing, it's all of that together. And of course, every child is, is unique in his or her own way. And so how all those things affect any individual child is going to vary uh, from not only because of the, their, their own family, but just because who they are. And uh, that makes it even more complicated because it's not like uh, looking at a product and saying, oh, well, okay, this doesn't work. And so it must be something related to the, some component of the product, you know, mm -hmm. you know they're all the same, which we know that human beings are not. And so uh, 
Is there, as you look at these uh, indicators, how does that relate to what we believe an educated person is? Uh, who do you think an educated, what is an educated person? Uh, what should they be doing, let's say, by the time they reach, you know, 18 years old? We'll call that maturity. Well, I mean, if we're looking at the pure uh, data of what we say college readiness is in meeting benchmarks on whether that be the ACT or the SAT, there is a clear blueprint on what that is for students to be ready for college and career. But I also think about this component of what we've been missing for many years is that there's this gap between students who have the academic outcomes, but they don't have the tangible experiences and exposure to the real world experiences where they can apply their education. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I think is beautiful that the State Department introduced last year was the ICAP, the Individualized Career Academic Plan that allows for students in grade eight to begin getting exposure to career industries, to professionals, to get those soft skills, to take what is happening in the classroom and to apply it to the real world. I think that as we see that programming play out in high schools and school districts grow in their partnerships with employers and employer and agencies looking at the power of internships and that exposure and building a pipeline, then I think we're graduating students who are truly college and career ready beyond the benchmark. They have the exposure and, and they're also empowered and equipped to say, I'm choosing this path. This path was not chosen for me. So we find many students who get to college, they get the degree and they're not working in that field. They've accumulated college debt. What happens when we change that trajectory and think about education holistically and allow for students to have agency in making those decisions later in life? Yeah. As you think we think about that strategy, uh, how did that actually work for you? Did you have a strategy similar to that or uh, did you sort of how did you find yourself where you are today? Is this what you planned to be, you know, when you were <laughs> 15 years old or whatever? Funny thing is, I did not plan for this to be where I was when I was 15. Uh, my father was an educator. I saw him teaching my whole life. When I was a little bitty kid, I said, I want to be a teacher. But somewhere along the lines, I went off to OU and had this vision that I was going to work in business, run a Fortune 500 company, make a ton of money, and life just shifted. I started in college volunteering with a school in Northeast Oklahoma City and just really grew a strong passion for working with youth. I mentioned to you that a lot of my um, desires in working, especially with young women of color, has come from my own upbringing here in Tulsa. I grew up in, in Union Public Schools. I never had a teacher who looked like me in my entire uh, career in, in K-12 education, but I also really struggled with my own identity. So I saw a lot of role models in, in my family, but in terms of people in the community that I could reach out to that were pouring into me, I was lacking there. And so when I had this experience at OU where I got to plug into the community and be that change, it just lit a fire in me. I mean, I, I majored in entrepreneurship and venture management, still got my, my business degree, but I also majored in African and African-American studies and picked up a minor in nonprofit management. And so I'm 
taking and triangulating these learnings from school and wanting to really apply what I'm doing to this real desire that was brewing inside of me. So after I left OU, I went to Syracuse to get a master's in public administration, focusing on nonprofit management and, and really just shifted. I said business, but this, this career in social services and pushing for social justice and advocating for public education, it took over. And here I am today. You are today. <laughs> Along the way, uh, you did start a found uh, start a program called Women Empowering Nations, which I, I looked at your website and saw that on it, and watched the videos and things that you have there to watch, and was just truly impressed with the impact that those are having. Tell us about that effort and uh, and how you got from Tulsa to Africa doing mm -hmm. that. So I started Women Empowering Nations in 2009. I mentioned to you that I went over to Syracuse after OU for grad school with the desire to start this effort. So I had this big dream. I went to grad school and I enrolled in a course called Girls Education in a Developing World. And my professor was the former CEO of the World Food Program. And we had a service learning project. So again, applying this real world experience to what we're learning in the classroom. I wrote a proposal for the Gambian government for a girls education initiative uh, in partnership with the World Food Program there and in that country. And my proposal was accepted. So I left, I left grad school. I started consulting um, with the Women's Bureau in, in the Gambia. And I also was there and launched Women Empowering Nations. So this work of that organization started uh, in an outdoor classroom with 30 girls in the Gambia where we were focused on literacy development and leadership programming. And over the years, the organization has grown and it's, it's definitely grown me as a leader. I think that when I went over, I had a lot of ideas and concepts and I was going to teach, but you know, the young women and the culture and the experience just taught me so much about seeking to understand before seeking to be understood. And I grew in my own perspective. And so as I came, I came back to the United States and to Tulsa, through Teach for America. So I, I came into the classroom here, but I also brought those experiences in that programming with me. And that is what branched off the work of Women Empowering Nations to grow here in the United States and began to build partnerships and relationships to take young women here in Oklahoma and Texas and really from across the country on travel seminars to Gambia. We've now expanded to Ghana, to South Africa, to Tanzania. The, the work continues to grow, but it all started through a professor who pushed me to think beyond and to put myself out there and to make a plan and make it happen. Well, that's a very inspiring story. And it, it talks to the, I guess maybe the sort of the serendipity of how a lot of these uh, things start is that someone gets an idea and they go, hmm, well, okay, well, I'll do this. And the next thing you know, someone else latches onto that. I mean, there's a program that's just waiting for a proposal like yours to, uh, to come its way and say, well, we want to do this. You know, we want to do this in our country. And, uh, and you know, in, in a sense, way like kind of leads on to way. But it all starts with that one thing. It starts mm -hmm. with that professor who says, well, why don't you do this? Or your personal interest in something and, and, and grows from there. How would you take that experience that you had in, 
in uh, 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 women empowering nations and coach or counsel young people today who have sort of an idea of something that they are interested or might want to do? How would you, what would you tell them to do next? When I think about the big ideas that I've had, one thing that has really been helpful for me is to start by looking around me, right? So it was in those critical conversations with someone who had gone on that path before me and to learn from their experiences and also to learn from their failures. A lot of times we we look at the successes of people, but we miss that opportunity to learn from what, how did I fail along the way? I tell young women who reach out to me all the time that one of my fail, fail forward moments mm-hmm. was in in going over and having all of these plans and and thinking you know this is the way but really taking that opportunity to soak it in to learn to get accustomed to be culturally relevant in the teachings that I was even wanting to bring forward but having that opportunity to learn more additionally it's the fact of you know many times we have these dreams and goals and we say in five years I want to be here in 10 years I want to be here but the trick is that we will put off that five to 10 year plan for years and years and years when there's really this 24 hour step. You have the idea, what is that one step that you're gonna take tomorrow to put you there? Whether it's, I'm going to go to this website and see what other organizations are doing this work. Whether it's, I'm going to send the email to that person that I know can give me more information. Whether it's, I'm going to start the Instagram page. What, what is that one step that you can do to get you towards that goal? Instead of waiting on this five to 10 year journey, we are underestimating the power of now. That's a, I think that's really powerful right there because, uh, I mean, I can see that play out in my own life. I mean, as you're talking about that, I'm going, oh, okay. Well, I said, uh, the now is what we have. And it's what we do now that will make the next moment meaningful. And that's just such powerful information because we want to make plans. We want to get it right. We want to talk to the right people. We want to make sure we're on the right track, that it'll be well received on and on and on. And we don't do anything and we don't launch. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of a disciple of a consultant named Seth Godin. And uh, you may know of him. Uh, he's a real thought leader, and he re- and a lot of young people really relate well to him. But uh, his thing is launch. <laughs> he said, yes. it's not going to be perfect. You just have to accept nothing you do is perfect. But if you don't put it out there, you don't get a chance to perfect it. And mm-hmm. so just go with the best you've got and see what happens. to uh, kind of rewind just a little bit. Uh, you kind of answered uh, the question I was thinking about was what got you into this. Uh, uh, d- did you have an epiphany of some kind, just a moment when you realized, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do? Uh, did, do you remember that? Do you remember that moment when you, it just dawned on you, this is it? Great question. Wow. You're making me reflect back on this journey. I, I think that every single time I've, I've taken, gosh, over 20 some odd trips over to the continent of Africa, whether it's bringing young women with me, whether it's doing programming there and teaching and leading, every single time is that experience of, wow, like I am walking in my purpose right now. It is an overwhelming emotion but there's so much peace and so much clarity and it is 
literally the work that I have been doing for free for 10 years, right? I've, it's a decade of energy that has been given back into me. And that also helps me to lead in, in other spaces. And so I can't point back to that one pivotal experience because it's been repeated multiple times. And I think that a lot of people ask that question of how do I know? How do I know that this is the thing for me or what I'm supposed to be doing? I think that at times when we think about what are those activities that we do, you know, that classic question, if money wasn't an option, you know, what would you do for the rest? What would you do if you, if you didn't have to worry about money? What would you do for the rest of your life? But I, I backdoor that question and asking what gives you energy and what brings you just unleashed joy? And I find that every single time that I'm doing this programming, that I'm working with women and girls, it's there, it's present, and it's a reminder that this is a gift and to, to maximize those moments of life and doing it. Well, it's, uh, I, love, I hear people ask that question a lot, like, what's your purpose? Or I want to know what my purpose is and yada, yada, yada. And uh, the, the way I've re- learned to respond to that is, well, what makes you happy? Mm. What's the happiest thing? When do, are you the happiest? Yes. What are you doing when you're the happiest? And I don't care if it's fishing. You know, if that's it, then go figure out how to find your joy and purpose in fishing and or whatever. There's, there's got to be something there that's a benefit to people somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, to me, that's what you just said is it res- resonates with me because uh, I even at my age, uh, I think myself, where am, what, where am I the happiest? When am I the happiest doing what I'm doing? And that's what I want to be about. And, 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 and I can say at this perspective. Uh, if I may, that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, the, the way you feel inside about what you do is always youthful. Right. It's always, it's always a spirit of young because it gives you joy. It gives you energy. It gives you pride in doing it. And all of those things, there's no, there's no age to that. And, uh, and it doesn't matter how old you are. If you feel joy in doing it, well, then that's what you should be doing. That's your purpose. People who do things get noticed. And that's why they get uh, awards. You know, they're out there doing something. It's an affirmation that somebody noticed. And they said, oh, well, gee whiz, you know, look what you did. And, uh, and, you, and I look back at your list of accomplishments and the way you've been recognized and so forth. Uh, how do those things hit you? Uh, does it, is it like, oh, well, I appreciate being noticed or I'm really special or, oh, it's just another day at the office. I mean, how, do the, how does that kind of recognition affect you? Well, I think every time being acknowledged or noticed for the work, especially the work that is connected deeply to what you believe and value and walking in that purpose it's special it's it's an affirmation like i'm going in the right direction um but you know even if those awards weren't there i would still have this joy in just being able to do the work i think that one thing that getting awards at times i'm like wow like i'm standing next to these people it 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 is a very humbling experience when i see the list and i'm looking at people that I've looked up to my entire life, right? That I have deeply admired and still do. And so 
I, I, it's a huge honor. And I think that it is a really big blessing because when I looked at those lists before and I would see and be inspired by women, it's great to know that other young ladies can be inspired and see some of the work that I'm doing. But at times it feels surreal that I'm there at that mm -hmm. point, because like you mentioned, you know, when you're dreaming and when you're in your passion, it's, it's young, it's fresh. You always feel like you're tapping into something new, but it does show me that something is, is moving and happening and has been established and the impact is being noticed. And so I'm very grateful. You'd like to know people have noticed, but mm -hmm. the, but that's not the main thing. And I know when people are, when, when people are young, there's this, there's this real emphasis on recognition and uh, being recognized for certain things and it's resume building and things like that. But, uh, uh, I, th I think that the people who are more concerned with adding something of value in their, in their workplace or in their community, they just do that and the resume comes. That's a really great point. I agree. I mean, I, I think about when you're focused, you have your head down, you're doing the things that you care about, that you value, you know, that your character shines naturally. There is right. no, you know, magic headline on the resume that showcases that. It's who you are. And I think that the more that people can be connected to sharing and showcasing their authentic self, their beliefs and their passions, that's what lands in the interview. That's what opens doors. Uh, it's not fitting into the vision of what everyone else has pictured or pegged into what it should be. People can feel your authenticity uh, in writing in, in speaking in connecting. I mean, it's there. And so I just encourage people to harness that power that's already within them. That's a good advice, I think, for people of all ages. One of the things that I've noticed in working with these with the young people here in the state for the last several years uh, particularly because uh, I've really been focused on their stories and meeting some of them, is that how often when two or three of them get together with an idea, really cool stuff starts to happen. You know, whether it's uh, reviving, trying to revive the, the raft race at, on, the, on the Arkansas River here in Tulsa, which happened with a couple of, a group of young men get, got together and said, well, let's go get a drink. You know, and they were talking about, well, it must be cool to go do this. And then, and that conversation leads to something else. And they said, well, didn't we used to have a raft race and tell us what happened to that? And so, you know, right. and that conversation just went on. And next mm -hmm. thing you know, they're, uh, they're looking for a way to revive it because it's just fun. And, mm -hmm. and it adds to the, the value of the community and, and it really shows off the possibilities of, of water recreation, you know, in the, in the Arkansas River. And that was just a bunch of guys who got together and wanted to have a drink. Right. And, 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 and that kind of thing happens all the time and it's magical. And I, I, that just needs to be encouraged so much and to let people say, oh, well, if you've got a dream or a, or a wild, crazy, hairy idea, that might be one of the best things that's ever happened around here. Go for it. Absolutely. Dream big. Dream big. And take that step and, <laughs> and make it happen. <laughs> well, did you ever dream of being an author? Because I know you have written a book uh, called uh, uh, Choosing Faith Over Fear, 14 Days of, of Life-Changing Lessons. Uh, how'd that come about? Well, you know, I started writing, I take things back to my educational experiences. Third grade was one of my favorite years in school. And my teacher, Miss Anderson, who I still connect with to this day, was very influential in getting me to write and journal my ideas. I started writing short stories. 
and it never stopped. You know, as an adult, I didn't really think that a book was going to be something that I would ever publish or put out. Uh, but it was another one of those moments of how do I share my lessons, my journey to inspire someone else? You know, I share very vulnerable moments. And as I am actually an introvert, my MBIT is an INFJ. People are surprised when I say that I'm an introvert, but uh, I'm an outgoing introvert. So I'll say that <laughs> I, I'm right there on the line. So actually publishing the book was a step of faith. It was like, ah, oh, just do it, you know? And so I've grown so much since that book came out almost, gosh, six years ago. Um, but it, it's just really great to look back on the journey and, and to have done it. And I see many more books in my future and working to share more of my learnings and experiences, especially as it pertains to women in leadership. We've talked about your experiences uh, over the last uh, several years. Uh, and and as you reflect back upon yourself, which I, as an introvert, I know you reflect quite a bit, uh, reflect back upon yourself, how would you say all of this has made you different? Uh, from how would you, how do you think your life is different now from having done this? And it might've been if you had never done any of those things that you actually accomplished. That is a wonderful question. Um, you know, I think that my life is different in my ability to take risk. I think that if I didn't get my feet wet and start stepping out on faith and start trying it and start answering like that deep uh, butterfly in your belly that says to do this and to move on it and to allow for that spirit just to guide you on this path. I would consider myself now at this point of my life to be a risk taker. And previously I would have considered myself to be more of a rule follower growing up. I was the kid who sat in the front of the classroom, didn't ask a ton of questions, but as I have grown and just continue to do things and to learn and to feel forward and to deeply be passionate about the work and, and to see impact and results, it's given me a little bit more to, okay, this time go deeper, go bigger elevate your voice even higher. It is allowed for me to stand in the confidence of my leadership and to grow and know that there's deep purpose in what I have to say and what I have to do. And that culminates with meaningful joy. And I could not imagine a life without that now. Uh, I saw on your Facebook page a quote it says, uh, I didn't come this far only to come this far. And I, th and I got to thinking about that. And I said, you know, that's really an awesome, awesome way to think about that. So you've come this far. Mm -hmm. So now what's the next far for you? Now, what do you yeah. want to do? Where do you want to go from here since you've made it this far? I would say, you know, even as I think deeply about where I have come, I am the product of people who chose to invest in me. I think about the tables that I'm able to sit at now and where I am at my career and knowing that this is only the beginning, but I've been thinking deeply about what does it mean to truly build legacy? What does it mean to transform systems? What does it mean to not be the only at the table, but to create 
and bring a new table or more seats to that table. And so my next level of leadership is how am I creating space for others to come alongside me, behind me, with me, and pouring down those lessons learned and equipping women and especially women of color to elevate and amplify their voices, to have a seat at the table and to literally lead from their authentic space. I've grown on this journey and realizing that authenticity matters and being able to stand in your truth and to be confident in that is a process and a journey. And I, I want other women to feel that. I want other women to walk in purpose. And, and now a lot of my focus has been on how am I building that bench? How am I adding these additional seats? How am I building a new table? Well, I look forward to the future and uh, seeing what happens as a result of that uh, passion because it's clear to me that uh, there's a lot of great things uh, that are still yet to happen in your life experience. And not only that, but you know, there's absolutely no way you can ever know uh, who that person is that you will inspire and what they will do. To me, that's the real wonderful beauty of all of this anyway, is that you never know who that one person is that might become the president of the United States or the you know, the, uh, the, the general of the United Nations or whatever it might be, because they heard something somewhere that made them know they were bigger than they thought they were. I agree. And so it's uh, just so important to, to um, uh, tell these kinds of stories, I think. People who are doing empowered things and who can inspire us to, to, to look for the possibilities in our own life. And so I appreciate you taking time on early in the morning to record this and uh, before you go about the rest of your day. And I'm really eager to be able to share it and to uh, help other, a lot of other people get to know you this way. Well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity. It was wonderful having this chat with you. Thanks so much. Uh, that's uh, Carlisha Williams-Bradley. And uh, she is the current executive director of uh, Impact Tulsa, but also the founder of Women uh, Empowering Nations and, of course, involved in many other things in, uh, in education and in community service here in the Tulsa area. And so uh, we congratulate you on all of the wonderful accomplishments and the recognitions that you've received and well-deserved. And we're looking forward to being able to recognize you many, many more times in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so that's it. Uh, that's it for this installment of The Spirit of Leading, and I want to thank you for listening. I also encourage you to recognize and appreciate anyone who demonstrates the spirit of leading at work and in the community. When you join the Empowered, you'll get notification of my latest podcast or the latest post in my weekly Empowering Thoughts series. So please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And until next time, I urge you to live empowered each and every day. Unleash your creative energy. Encourage the spirit, enliven the heart, enlighten the mind, and enlarge the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters.